You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to Stage Door Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, talking to music theatre artist Toby Francis, we would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians on this land on which we work, live and record, and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. We pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Tori, take it away with the bulletin. Theatre is back in Sydney. This past week, it was announced that on November 20th, Belvoir Street Theatre will reopen with a great big dose of comic relief thanks to the Boomcack Panto. Written, co-directed and starring the irresistible Virginia Gay, this panto about a bunch of people putting on a panto who have no idea what a panto is will be on from the 20th of November till the 23rd of December. The Boomcack Panto promised to be a mad sparkling jewel, a reward for getting through these dark and strange times. For more info, head to belvoir.com.au slash productions slash the Boomcack Panto. We are so excited to see 9 to 5, Dolly Parton's West End smash hit musical is back in business in 2022. The Australian premiere will open in February next year at the Capitol Theatre, Sydney, with tickets on sale from the 25th of October. For more info and tickets and to jump on the waitlist, head to 9to5themusical.com.au. October is ADHD Awareness Month, and this is a topic we actually speak quite a bit on in this week's episode, as both Eliza and our guest Toby have both been diagnosed with ADHD. Keeping that in mind, we'd like to share some phenomenal resources and people on social media who are helping not only those with ADHD, but the general public to understand more about this neurodiversity. So, if you want to learn more, pop over to Instagram, where there are some phenomenal creators helping us to learn and understand, such as the Psych Doctor MD. ADHD doers, Molly's underscore ADHD underscore mayhem and more. We'll be sure to tag all these people down below and on our Instagram in our stories and our highlights so that they're easily accessible resources for everyone. That's it for today. Back over to you, Eliza. Today we welcome singer, writer, producer, music theatre and cabaret performer Toby Francis. Toby's career kicked off quickly after he graduated from the Australian Institute of Music. Just one week after he completed university, Toby won the 8th annual Cabaret Showcase and caught the attention of Australian entertainer David Campbell, who quickly took him under his wing, directing his debut cabaret show, Bloke, Lahoma. He then appeared in the leading role of Bolland as part of Neil Gooding Productions' Australian premiere of Pasek and Paul's off-Broadway hit, Dogfight at the Hayes Theatre Company. In 2017, Toby completed a hugely successful season of Kinky Boots for Michael Castle, starring in the lead role of Charlie. He then went on to co-produce and star in High Fidelity with his up-and-coming independent production company, Highway Run Productions. The following year, Toby was cast in the role of Galileo in We Will Rock You Arena Spectacular, and then as Judas in Jesus Christ Superstar for Packerman Productions. Toby also played Guy in Darlinghurst Theatre's 2019 sold-out extended season of Once the Musical, which he also most recently returned to for a second season this year. Please welcome to the mic, Toby. Wow, that was a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big intro. Yes. You've done a, you've done so much. Like looking at the CV, I was like kind of going through it, and I was like, okay, okay, 
all right, this is a lot, um, which is like great. It's like great to see that you've been so hugely successful. Thank you. It doesn't feel like I've done a lot. Like this past couple of years, I'm like, I haven't done anything. <laughs> but that's not actually true. I looked back on this year because the gaps have been so long between work and you spend so much time locked down because yeah. there's a pandemic. I don't know if you read the news, but um, there's <laughs> a virus going work. around and um and you feel like you haven't worked, even though I've kind of I've been very lucky in that I've had sort of intermittent work once we sort of opened back up and then shut back down. And that's a thank you for that very kind introduction. <laughs> it's always also nice, I think, to be reminded that you have done well because it's really hard for yourself sometimes. You kind of just go like from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. But um, I guess obviously, like you said, we've obviously we are in lockdown in New South Wales but how have you been and like what like do you have any recommendations for us like what have you been doing to stop yourself from going absolutely insane oh absolutely nothing I've just gone mental um (laughs) (laughs) I um I've gone back to university actually I don't know why I said it like that I'm I've I've gone (laughs) I've gone back to university and now I have to say university (laughs) no I've um I've gone back to uni to to study a, a bachelor of education uh for high school and a Bachelor of Arts majoring in English and minoring in theatre. So that's taken up a lot of a lot of my time. I'm absolutely I'm really loving it. Mm. Uh, I'm also watching a lot of Netflix and reading a lot of Kindle and all of all of those usual things. Walking a little bit. That's literally yeah. it. Coffee. But I have a big recommendation that I just watch. If you you get Paramount Plus, which is excellent, um, there is a show called Nathan for You from comedian Ooh. Nathan Fielder, which I think was massive in the States and wasn't big here at all. It's incredible. It's amazing. It's from like 2015, but it's kind of like, I don't want to make comparisons, but if you like Borat or Sasha Baron Cohen or that, or the chaser or that kind of thing where people are doing sort of just social disruption, it's really amazing, mm-hmm. but it has this through line and this story and this heart that is incredible. There were times when I was in tears of laughter and times when I was really, really moved. It's so good. That has stopped me going bananas. We're going to have to check that one out. I think as yeah. well, like, um, it's really nice when you have comedy that makes you think and then you're crying at one point and then you're laughing at another and you're like, ah, this is a full body experience right now. <laughs> That's it. Nathan for you is a full body experience. <laughs> That's, like... That's what it is. That's, that is a delightful uh Delightful description. Oh, alliteration. I learned about that in my English Ooh. degree. <laughs> yes. And obviously you're you're now studying as well. That's really exciting that you're you're taking that leap into education. Are you um, still gonna be doing theatre and education at the same time, you reckon? Or Yeah, I don't think I will give it up entirely, but I'm doing it's not mm. like a hard pivot, but it's not a soft pivot, it's yeah. a medium pivot. Uh into <laughs> I, I wanna go and because I don't I don't have a degree. I've dropped out of high school in year 10. um, I still went to class in year 11. I'm sorry. I still went to the campus in year 11 and 12. I just didn't go to class. Um, So I can't do a master's of teaching to go become a teacher. So I went back to uni to study. uh, And I say back to uni because I was at AIM where you two both studied, but I never completed my degree. So Neither did I. (laughs) It bodes well for you, let me just say. Yeah. But I I went back to to UNSW and I I started studying to try and be like, I need to 
I need to study this degree if I want to go and teach and be able to teach to do sort of pick up work and have a bit more financial stability. And I, I loved it and I really love it. And I'm doing really well, um, which is something I've never really done at school before. I've never done well at school because I have ADHD. <laughs> and um, I fell in love with it and I want to do educational honors and I eventually would like to do an educational doctorate if I do well enough and the university <laughs> says that's fine. So, um, yeah, I think I'll probably do both and a little bit of everything, but there'll probably come yeah. a time in my life where I go, I'm going to go be a professor. I mean, why not? Oh, that's exciting yeah. though. Why not? You can do not? anything with your life. You can do theatre, you can be a professor, you can... You those know, are the two things. Go away and join the circus. Those, those are the only two <laughs> and things. And the circus. Literally. It's either theatre, professor, or circus. <laughs> yeah. There really is nothing else in between. <laughs> when you have ADHD, which the the worst part about ADHD actually isn't the whole like um, learning disability thing I find. It's the dysregulation mm. of sleep. It's the dysregulation of um, emotional moods um, as opposed to unemotional moods. Um it's also the mm-hmm. random, like, just energy crashes throughout the day, um, mm. being overwhelmed in situations where there's too much noise. Sometimes, like, you want lots of noise and lots of mm. stimulus, and sometimes you want none, and it can be really fickle like that, yeah. and, and it can be really distressing and, and, mm-hmm. and difficult when you don't know what's going on. So It's really interesting, and I would love to hear what you have to say on this. Um, there's a lot of – right now I'm at, at uni, and there's actually quite a few people – I know in theatre who do have ADHD and I don't know about you, but I do find some things quite difficult to, I have found more difficult in theatre because it is like that overstimulation and things like that. How have you dealt with having ADHD and being in the industry? I find the hardest things in it are are not sort of overstimulation, it's it's work ethic and discipline um, Mm. because you can have a really strong work ethic but if that counts for nothing if you can't self-motivate. Yeah. So like learning lines and stuff, I just, I'm just i very lucky in that I developed a way when I was quite young to really not have to sit down and learn lines. And I say developed a, lot, a way, it's just really like just putting down the script as soon as I can and flying by the seat of my pants um, But because you are forced to learn them. Other times it's really exciting and really great. Like when something goes wrong on stage, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love when something goes wrong on stage because it's really stimulating and really exciting and you have to kind of figure out a puzzle and how do you get back and um, when there's all those yeah. lights and the noise and like opening nights and all that stuff, that's that's great because mm. it's really exciting and you can get sort of a laser focus. But the other stuff like go home and learn all of these songs by tomorrow, I, I just don't do it. I just don't. I just yeah. don't do it, especially if it's not a performance. Like It's hard. Unless there is something concrete in front of me where people are like, can you learn 18 songs? That's why I really like the American system and the UK system of you can hold the music and you can hold the script. And I've, I go into yes. auditions now and that's what I do. Unless I'm at callbacks. If I'm at callbacks, yes, because you want to get it on your feet. But those initial rounds, I'm not presenting and no one is presenting a, a full performance. Yeah. You, you, and you shouldn't. So I think we need... We need more of that just for everybody, not even people who are neurodiverse. Oh my god, I hit the mic. Not even <laughs> not even people who not even people who are neurodiverse, but just in general for everyone's sanity and and it, it's more beneficial. Like you're not presenting a finished product. Like uh, just relax. Like let people hold the script, and if you want to see them do it without the script, call them back. 
Definitely. That's um, a good perspective to have on it because sometimes you can get too in your head of like, oh, I have to do this and I have to do this and I have to be, I have to be try and, you know, present in that same way, being able to just be off book all the time and, and do those things. So yeah, um, it's good to talk about it. It's good to talk like normalize yeah. ADHD and, and in theater and especially within the arts. It's because I think it's because it's, re- yeah, it's really stimulating area and you are never doing the same job, never. Like yes. you're, yes. you're, you do a production, mm-hmm. great, and then that's finished, and you fuck off and you go do something else. Like I'm someone who, that's why Kinky Boots was great, was because it was the first time I'd done a long running show. It was my first professional musical, with, that was paid me a wage like that. Um, you know, I'd done work before that, like Dogfight was on a cooperative agreement and, and all of that, that stuff. Uh, which I also think is really important, uh, really important work and, and a great way for people to sort of get in and, and for work to get seen that might be a bit riskier. Um, um, oh, God, that's ADHD. It just stops. You're like, uh, um. <laughs> See, I do it all the time. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that like once with Kinky Boots, like that was a long running show and how do you keep yourself focused? And that's about finding and not, and you still have to deliver the same product and, the, and hit the same marks and all that stuff. But how do you stay focused all that time? And I, and, and it, I did, and it was really satisfying and we could unpack that for hours, but there's always this feeling you go, what's next? And I remember Michael Castle, the producer said to me when Kinky Boots finished, um, cause we can talk about the end of Kinky Boots if you'd like, because in Brisbane, and this is something people don't talk about. I had a vocal injury in my last three weeks on Kinky Boots no way. and, uh, and I'm fine now. I'm fine. People have this idea that, you have a vocal injury and your career's kaput and that's it. And it's not true. But mm. to finish up, Michael Castle um, <laughs> came into me, into my dressing room and he said, how do you feel? And it was the last performance before the last performance. And I said, um, I'm not ready for it to finish, but I'm ready to move on. And I think that's the perfect place. And that's I, what I, is where you want to go. You go, I don't want to give this up. There's still so much more, but I could move on to something else and I do want something else to stimulate me as well. And that's the perfect place because you're not sick of it. You're not, um, Mm -hmm. you're still invigorated and you still love it. But um, I think that's what the arts provides to neurodivergent people, particularly ADHD people is there's always something new coming, something exciting. So um, yeah. But do you want to talk about the end of Kinky Boots? I mean, absolutely. I mean, what was that experience just like for you? I mean, Kinky Boots changed my life and I get really sad about Kinky Boots because it was my first professional musical. It was my first lead role, like on that scale. So I will never feel like that again in my life, ever. Even if I do another lead role in a major musical, it will never feel the same. It'll never feel like that. Um, And it was a Mm. happy cast and it was a great production and we were so supported. We had Michael Castle, who's a good friend and an incredible producer who takes care of his casts and um, knows everyone's name. And, and it was just, it was incredible. And by the end in Brisbane, I, there's a scene in the middle of Kinky Boots, which is like 15 minutes of an argument just prior to Soul of a Man, which is Charlie's climactic number. Mm-hmm. And I <clears throat> was yelling a lot as an actor yeah. because I just, I don't know, got carried away. And everyone kept saying, stop yelling all the time. You're going to hurt yourself. And I was like, oh, I'm fine. I thought I was bulletproof. Because vocally, <laughs> when it comes to singing, I'm pretty pretty bulletproof. But um, when it came, comes to... And I'm 
very lucky like that. But when it comes to sort of the scene work, I thought that would translate and it didn't. I think I was just putting it in the wrong place. And in Brisbane, I started having vocal trouble and I was like, what's going on? There was one bit where you, I was meant to hold a note for, I think it's like 10 seconds or something and um, at the end of Soul of a Man. And there was one night where I went to hit the note and it, I just went, came off it within sort of two seconds because I couldn't hold it and didn't oh, know wow. what was going on and I was really scared and there was this sound in my vo- vocals, this sound. And if there is anyone listening who could cast me in anything, let me tell you, I'm fine. <laughs> but <laughs> everything's all good. Um, You're still castable. But, it's okay. It's okay. But here's the thing is that I found, I, I started thinking, this is the end of my career. Like I've just started, this is the end of my career. Mm. And the speech pathologist, great, uh, Deb Filan, who was our speech pathologist on the show, was like, yeah, I'm worried that that's, um, that's a polyp or a nodule or something but, but it sounds like a polyp yeah see everyone goes "Ooh," but mm. yes it's it's a health <laughs> event but like it's it's and it's not frivolous but it's also not the end of the world so i was up in brisbane mm. and, and dr broadhurst up there who was excellent did had a look at me on the scope and he goes yeah you've got what's called a polypoid fringe and i was like what is that and he goes, that's the start of a polyp. We used to think nodules were the bad He didn't say this to me, but like as, as singers, we, we used to think that nodules were the bad one, right? And polyps, they'll go yeah. away. It's the other way, not the other way around, but like nodules will go away with rest. Polyps will not go away. They need intervention. Um, as a general rule, I'm sure that like if Deb Filand is listening to this or Dr. Broadhurst, they'll be like, that's not technically correct. But as I understand <laughs> it, and I'm no expert, so please talk to a doctor, but... Um, it's kind of like the other way around. I was off for three weeks. I ended up having a hydrocortisone injection into the cords, which is where they put a big needle down your throat and stick it in the cords. It's awesome. Um, I've done that twice and watched the video. It's fucking awesome. Um, but I had been off and I didn't know if I was going to make it back for the final performance. And during this whole time, I'm looking down the barrel of high fidelity. We were going to finish Kinky Boots and then I would fly to Sydney and start rehearsals the next day for high fidelity which is a massive Ooh. thing uh michael castle said to me he, he would call me and he'd check in and, and the company was incredible and like the cast the crew company management everybody was incredible and i had so much support and michael castle said to me this is incredible he said to me we want to get you better because i said i just want to get back on stage man i just want to get back there with the cast and do the show and he said, we want to get you back too, but we need you to rest and we want to get you back when you when it's right to do so because you we have to think about, you know, your future and we have to think about high fidelity. And this is insane because this is a multi-million dollar musical. Michael Castle, who is building what I believe is an entertainment empire that's going to be global. And he has this focus. <laughs> yeah. He's like worked for Cam Mack. He's got the rights to Lion King. He's now doing Harry Potter. He had all of that in the works this incredible huge thing that I'm just like a small piece of. And he went, let's not put you on, even though I'm paying you a leads wage each week, because you have a small short run musical appearing at the Hayes, which is an incredible venue. And I love it. But the amount of people who, who see a show at a sold out capacity is about 2000, I think for that run. Um, no, it's about 4,000 people. Um, a, a, which is like 
not even a week of major musicals. So comparing, yeah, I was yeah. going to say yeah. that was going to cost me and and co-producers sort of a hundred thousand dollars to put on. He his focus was to make sure that I could get up and do this show that I was putting my own money into, and Neil Gooding was putting his money into, and Lauren Peters was putting her money into, and and to make sure that I could do that thing. It was it was so selfless and incredible. And but here's the thing that. I got back for the final performance. Like I had my injection into the cords. It was very scary. And now it's like yeah. not very scary. And, and it's gone. The polypoid fringe is gone. I went, worked with my speech pathologist and Dr. Broadhurst who checked me out. He gave me two injections and we did some exercises and it went away. And I was able to keep to my rehearsal schedule. And the funny thing was that I thought I had a massive vocal injury and the most big people I spoke to in the industry who'd been around for ages, I was like, oh yeah, I, I had that. Like, no one, no one fucking talks about it. And ne- like everyone I know has had something yeah. happen, has had some kind of thing or knows somebody who's had something or knows someone who's had a hemorrhage or knows someone who dealt with nodules. Or, yeah. like, and we don't talk about it and we act like it's some big career ending thing and we act like it's due to technique yeah. and sometimes it's not. And and it's this big lie we've been sold, all because we know of Julie Andrews, who was operated on, as I I, th- I think the story is, she was operated on before the swelling went down, and she was operated on in the eighties, like we're we're yeah. forty years yes. ahead of that time. But like, yeah. look at all those people who've done it. Like, I mean, Delta Goodrum had um, it wasn't a vocal injury; it was a, I think it was a neurological thing that affected her voice, and and now she made a documentary about it. I think, oh. um, but you know, like Sam Smith yeah. and Adele and. All of these people who've had vocal injuries because they're vocal athletes, essentially. Like, you look at people who run or play footy or whatever, they get injured and everyone's like, oh, isn't that a shame? But then singers get injured and everyone's like, well, are they? I knew they were going to get hurt. And there's this weird, like, this weird, like, voyeuristic bullshit that happens in the industry where when Adele got hurt, I remember people posting on Facebook being like, I said it years ago, she was going to injure herself singing like that. It's like, I like Adele's voice and... I would. I preferred listening to people who sing. I'm not saying they should endanger their voice, but I like hearing people who sing dangerously because it's exciting. And those are the people. Those are the people who have interesting sounds to their voice. I think there's a balance balance that needs to be done. And I'm not saying we should be frivolous about vocal injuries by any means, but I'm also saying we like mm. hide them and demonize them and act like it's the singer's fault and act like it's the end of a career and it's not. There's so many people I know who've had vocal injuries who've come back and better than ever yeah exactly so you're still hireable guys just putting it out there <laughs> putting it out there still hireable yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and obviously i guess most recently you were hired most recently uh to return for once yeah which, which is, is vocally <laughs> like super demanding that that that, that thing. Yeah. yeah i saw that opening night in sydney which this season this season this yes i got given tickets to review it oh for who ATYP. And you reviewed it? Yes. And is it on the internet? It is. Is it Victoria? Yeah, that's me. And then Demetra. <laughs> yes. Like, look, Once is one of my favourite shows because I saw it um, on Broadway. I've seen it in Melbourne yonks ago. Saw it in Sydney and still still love the story that it tells and always have. Um, I think these are fair points that people make about this show. Is mm. that... I don't necessarily agree that it's problematic. Not 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 problematic. Sorry that that it's. I agree that it is is problematic. It's of the time. 
um, and art doesn't exist in a vacuum. It really doesn't. Um, but I don't believe that necessarily that that problematic story of which is, I think it's probably the best kind of, the best of those stories. Um, Demetra's criticism for anyone listening of the show is that it plays into the trope of the manic pixie dream girl um, and who stumbles upon this broken man who she then helps better his life and then that's the story. Um, and I think it is because it's explicit in Guy's journey that he's getting better uh, and moving forward and moving on. But it's implicit in her journey, um, so it doesn't sort of foreground her journey. And I think that's a style of writing that was happening at the time. I mean, this is 2000 and when. And it's also based then around a movie. Yeah, 2007 is the movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's over 10, it's over 10 years old and we're, we're so, our, our social tolerance and our, our, our social sort of um, awareness is, is progressing very quickly. And I think that it's not, like if you were to write a show now, it's not good enough to have an implicit journey for, for girl um, where she, her implicit journey is that she's, because Guy's stuck, he's stopped she refers to him as stopped um and the most people watch the show and they think it's because his girlfriend left him but i actually think it's because his mum died mm-hmm. and that's what he needs to to move on from and just live but girl's journey is that she's demonstrably unhappy in 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 a life that is just that she won't unpack and she's guarded and she won't ever talk about anything that concerns her but is forcing everyone to talk about all the things directly about other people's lives and that's something we addressed and and richard carroll as director was really aware of in the room is how do you sort of not try and play into the manic pixie dream girl tropes and i think personally we did a really good job of that um but i also think that it's there in the script like it is it is there in the script and and um if it doesn't resonate to somebody that we worked past it then they, they, they just didn't feel that we moved past it. So I guess that is, but I think that the heart of it, the reason that the show is so good is that because it is the best of that kind of narrative. Like it does that thing yeah. well. And I don't think it actually does disempower girl. And I don't think it like um, sexuality and sex isn't, isn't in that story. And it wasn't in the rehearsal room. Um, mm. Steph Kakamo and I love each other very much, but it's completely platonic. And yeah. we always started with an idea that there was this platonicness that, and I think that we, I've had this experience in my life where you love somebody very quickly and you are conditioned to believe that if that person is of the gender that you are attracted to, that therefore loving someone of the gender you are attracted to must mean that the love is romantic. And I don't think that's true. I've been confused mm-hmm. by that in the past where I thought I was in love with somebody and I wasn't. I just we just connected really yeah. well and we fell in love very quickly, platonic love. And I think Guy has that confusion in him with girl. Mm. I think I think that love is a practice and it's and it's something you do and they could have turned it into something romantic and, and that kind of thing, but you make this choice not to. So I think it is is something about friendship. And the fleetingness of friendship. And I also think it's honest. I think that, that those criticisms of narrative structure are yeah. true. But you can't, not that you can't, and we should talk about it, 
but I don't think it undermines the show. I think that everything that we look back on, everything that is a decade old at least, is going to be problematic. It's just going to be. Find me something that's not problematic from 10 years ago. Find me anything. (laughs) I agree. I mean, I recently just did Grease and they were, I mean, very similarly how you said they were really trying to make sure that you don't play into certain aspects of the narrative Mm. that are not that today's audience won't like it's it's finding how how you can still put on these texts and be true to the story but also like come at it from different lenses there is always a different lens that you can take with it i mean obviously you can't take words out most of the time but depending on the show depending on the show i think it depends on the show (laughs) and it depends on how it's how it's directed like i've definitely seen and I won't name the production, I definitely saw a show of a play that is very outdated and they did exactly the opposite. They played into the, the bad stuff mm-hmm. and the stuff that makes it problematic now. Um, and it really, really showed because it left, it was one of those times where you just sat there going, I'm, I'm really not comfortable watching this. Like yeah, this yeah. is, this is, they've done it exactly how you would have done it in the 80s. Yeah, right. Wait, can I just say one more thing? Just super yes. quick. Is that I don't want to misrepresent um, Demetra's critique either because that's not her only critique of the show. Another one is that um, is that it uh, novelizes the Czech community, you know, portrayed as, she says, portrayed as a simplistic people full of blinding happiness, fun and deep running passions despite their hardships. Again, a valuable listen in life for mm. Guy. The culture is so exotic, so sexy. Um, and I think that, that that's a fair comment as well. I think that there is, um, sort of a, a fetishization and, and of other cultures that prevails in, even in, even in work that was progressive at the time, comparative to now into how we understand culture and what, what the role of culture and presenting other cultures in works is. Um, but I also note that she's 26 or oh, they are 26, I should say, sorry, I'm not sure what her what their pronouns are. See, I'm learning. And I'm not saying that to under undermine them at all. What I am saying is that people like Demetra and of that age are the future of theatre and it should be that way. It should be that, that, that if they tore the show apart for its politics, fantastic, great. That, that's absolute. And I'm not saying, great, let, let, let them do it and, and we'll just carry on. I'm saying, like, that's the conversation that should be happening and is happening. And yeah. I think if... If people make a point, whether it's angry or not, you have to tackle the point and you have to argue against the point. And if somebody says something and they're upset about it, it's not enough to say, I don't think that this kind of way of discourse and and the way of talking about theatre matters and this way of talking about theatre is helpful. It's like it doesn't it doesn't matter if, if Demetra has something to say that's fair and valid, that should be listened to, whether it's whether someone's in the show or not, and it should be engaged with. Uh, something I admire about the entire creative team of Once is that they wouldn't ever. And the production company and Darlow, who've really endeavoured to amplify voices that aren't amplified, they have never shied away from engaging with this type of discourse even. And we've mm. never been never been told to not engage in that type of discourse. Because I think you would want... Some people might get into this stage where they go, oh, you know, I can't say anything bad about the show I'm in. Um, but So I have mm. to defend it and therefore I have to sort of then cause backlash to the show or whatever it is and uh, i don't think that's true i don't think it is saying something bad about the show to say 
that there are things that are there because of the time it was written in that mean something different now which should be unpacked and if that gets mm. unpacked in a review that people go to then that's that's what it should be i also note that Dem- demetra was really really effusive about the creative aspects of the show and in particular uh, they say i'm not sure i've ever heard a voice like stephanie kakamo's it's immaculate that's correct i think steph kakamo mm-hmm. has a beautiful voice an incredible instrument and she understands mm-hmm. it really well i think that's a great review i haven't read yours sorry but um oh. i will you don't have to read mine <laughs> i will i will well i guess we might actually move into a bit of a game we have a game today which will be lots of fun it'll be tori and yourself doing a little bit of a lyric challenge <laughs> is this music theater songs because i don't know and i don't know any music theater songs it is but it shows that you've been oh in. okay are they oh, this is even worse because i won't remember it oh you got this you got this <laughs> no. i'm gonna give tori the first one so that will alleviate some pressures there. Yep. Okay. <laughs> All right, Tori. Yeah. Your first one is, welcome to our future. No longer are we making shoes. This is from Kinky Boots, and this is the show that I boasted for ages. It was like one of my favorite shows. Um, we're making, the measurement is wrong, two and a half feet of yes irresistible tubular sex. Yes. <laughs> is, is that is that all it is? Is irresistible? Of we will be making two and a half. Feet well, I think it's irresistible, like... tubular. Yeah. Sex. Is that it? Yeah, I couldn't remember I it. I was is. like, what is going on? All right, Toby. All right, I'm, you ready? I'm just getting my phone because I'm cheating. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm not going to cheat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go. That would be the first time, and I would actually be really surprised if that was actually the first time. Yeah, people are just totally cheeky. <laughs> All right. Chipping around, kicking my brains around the floor. These are the days it rains but never pours. Yes. Yeah. These are the days it rains but never pours. We got a show as an answer. I know, guys. Phenomenal. You're getting, you're getting the free show yeah, here. Yeah, I just today. wonder what that sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is one of my personal favorites for Tori today. This woman leaves behind a suffering child. Um, um, no. This woman leaves behind a suffering child. <laughs> no one but me who can int... You are really close. In... I want to say intervene, but inter... Oh, it's so <laughs> Intermingle. <close. laughs> it's so close. There's inter... none but me who can uh... intercede. Yes! Did you steal my answer? Yeah, you bet I did. you got to be quick. <laughs> Zero points, Tori. It was the last word, and it was the last, like, syllable of the word. You also said no one but me, and there is none but me, so let's get technical. You You might want to change your ATYP review by the end of this. You might go in and go, listen, Toby Francis is problematic. (laughs) I would not change that, because that was one of the best shows that I've reviewed for ATYPs. Oh, well, thank you so much. I love ATYP, by the way. I think they're incredible. Incredible organization. Okay. Give Toby a hard one. Toby. <laughs> I'm, gonna give him, I'm, getting, I'm giving him a hard one. Maybe. I don't know. These are all shows he's been in. <laughs> How hard can it get? Okay. If you strip away the myth from the man. Oh, of course. Yeah. If you strip away the myth from the man, you will see where we all soon will be. You absolutely nailed it. 
You absolutely. Jesus. We love the Jesus Christ superstar moment. Oh, I love that show. <laughs> I do have a tiebreaker. Now, I know that it's technically not a tie right now, but I'm also going to give it. I'm going to give. I still got I'm throwing you a bone. I'm throwing you a bone. Let's go to the tiebreaker. Okay, I'll say the words and then. And then I'll say one, two, three, and then you can say your name, and then um, whoever's name comes in first. Okay. We'll get to answer. Okay. You've got to take what you've got. One, two, three. Toby and Tori. <laughs> Toby got in. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Wait, you got to take what you got, even when your life is in knots. Yeah. Oh my god, I lost that in I lost that. That's not the the true fear in your face. Oh my god. Well that's not that's the funny thing about that song is that that's Charlie's I Want song, which is sung by Harry, his friend. Mostly Harry's singing about how you just gotta do whatever you like like you gotta just make the best of a bad situation. And Charlie's I Want moment, which is really important in a musical, to be lets the song where it's like, I want to get out of here and do all of that shit, as you would know. He has a yeah. bridge where he talks things about what he wants. Like, he has literally four lines. And you have to, like, pack in all of the stuff all into four content. lines. Congratulations. <laughs> you've you've be- be- beaten me with a bat. Uh, you've beat me. You've done um, well. So... That, that, yes. Thanks for ruining my winning streak. That was it's really <laughs> brings me down to earth there. Um, anyway, jumping back into this, um, you were in something really, really um, sick at the beginning of the year, uh, which was Rewired Musicals Imagined uh, with the Hayes and Sydney Festival. What was the process like? Obviously, you mainly did Les Mis, but in this mm. like rock pop rock kind of style what was it like kind of i guess almost like relearning these pieces it was amazing i worked with isaac haywood as a musical director so when the hayes came to me and said do you want to be part of this thing um i was like fuck yes i do and and they were like well if you do what do you want to what do you want to be and i was in a punk band i my first love is uh like punk rock and hardcore and all of them. like not just like blink even though i love blink and i love all those mainstream bands i also love i don't know if anyone's listening who knows these bands like mill and colin and wonder years i mean no effects are pretty huge refused any of this this is anything no i like slipknot <laughs> haven't spent my time in the in the rock metal genre too much i know slipknot i i had a time in like year nine where i was all about evanescence and slipknot and um yes yeah, something Corey taylor don't remember his slipknot? name anymore no different one corn okay. i was not oh, thinking of corn i was thinking of corn yeah corn's great anyway that was kind of my, like my first love and I love pop punk and like all of that and so I said I would love to take a musical and do like pop punk punk style and they said great and w- who do you want to work with and I said Isaac Haywood and he was free and he like is a rock guy from way back and I said I would love to do this song in a pop punk style like kind of like this song i would love to do kind of metal real metal and uh, not like music theater metal um, 
and I would love to, and he kind of took that ball and ran with it and sent me examples and things. And then I really was like, I want to do on my own as a pop punk song and I want to do some metal. And these are the songs I think. And Isaac took that, trimmed it and really ran with it. And we did it 12 minutes straight. We had 12 minutes and we had too many songs. So I, I was like, well, fuck talking then let's just start and move into song after song. Um, and just not stop, like just come out and do this like rock and roll, wow. lame thing. And it works really well because Schomburg and Bulbalil were pop songwriters before they did Les Mis. Um And like you could take a whole bunch of, you know, I'm gonna, I want to keep working on that kind of idea and take a whole bunch of modern Broadway artists and, and turn them into, you know, pop punk songs because these punk lends itself to pop. It's always been pop. I don't, I'm not a punk purist in that, like the Ramones, people are like, yeah, the Ramones. It's like, yes, it was anti-establishment, but it was pop songs. Um, yeah. And it's always been used pop elements and, and subversive messaging. And so if you find a song that has great pop elements, you can convert that into a punk song and it sounds fucking great. Mm. That was amazing. Like we, we got to perform out the front of uh, St. Mary's when we came back to do it again, mm. to close out yeah. um, Sunset, Sunset Piazza. And there were these big screens and it just felt like rock and roll. Like it was huge. It was massive. It just got to jump around the stage and uh, Isaac Haywood shredded the guitar. Michael Napoli shredded the guitar. Like I think Charlie Kurth was our drummer and who drummed on We Will Rock You. It was just, it was yeah. fucking amazing. And I want to do it again. I want to do it again. It's probably one of my favorite things that I've been able to be part of. And Isaac Haywood is a genius. He's I would work twice as hard for half as much for Isaac Haywood. Yeah. Don't tell my agent, but that's what, you know, <laughs> like he's just, he's phenomenal. He's phenomenal. It's incredible to have opportunities that are a little bit different to what we, what we do all the time in the classical musical theatre and classical concerts where it's, it's as written, but to really get to work with the text, which is, is so exciting. And I guess on that similar note, like you've, done a fair share of commercial work and like work outside of theatre what advice do you have to give to theatre-based actors looking to diversify themselves I think my advice would be to diversify yourself like you have to that this idea of being just a music Mm. theatre actor is rare um there are people who do it in the industry and they're they're incredible but doing that without also having a sort of um an ability to write your own work as well or to, you know, get commercial work to, to work in TV, which I don't um, do. <laughs> um, not out of choice, so not out of choice, so come knocking. Um, you know, to do this other work or, or do straight plays and things is really important and it's also really fulfilling and it also means that you don't get to the end of a an audition period because all the auditions tend to come out together at the moment and I'm not sure why. Mm-hmm. Um, but that period can just really batter your soul up because you'll get a whole bunch of no's. And also you might have a three month period where you've got an audition for every show that's coming in the next year or two. Yeah. And there might be another one or two shows that gets announced, but you, there's this feeling you go, if I don't book, that's it. I'm going to have to do something else for the next couple of years. And what do you want that to be? You know, I would have said cruise work, like guest entertaining on cruises where they fly you in, they fly you in for a week you do a show and you get to have a holiday. Like it's fantastic work. It's really great. Um, You get put up in a guest bedroom and everything. I would have said that, but you know, little pandemic going on. Um, But my advice would be just to start doing things and to listen to people who came before you. Um, 
not in like respect it, but like if you want to write your own cabaret and you don't know, I'm terrible at this as I'm sure you've discovered, like I constantly forget to reply to things and I like, I'm thank you so much for chasing me. I'm so sorry. Um, but like, I'm terrible with this. So, um, I've had a few people message me who I need to apologize to where I was like, yeah, I'll help you. Uh, but hook up a meeting like to meet with someone to go over stuff because people are pretty generous with time. If you don't know how to write something and put it together, ask people and just be involved. And, and being a, a music theater performer on its own is probably not going to pay your bills. But working outside a music theater is not a failure. It's really fulfilling mm-hmm. and it's really great. And like I start, I mean, it's easy for me to say I started in cabaret. Like I started working cabaret, all my work that I do on my own is like rock stuff in cabaret. Um, I kind of work that, which means that as a music theatre performer, I'm not very um, diverse. Like I'm not a dancer. I'm not going to get cast in West Side Story because I can't, I can't dance it. So when the shows come along that I do, I hope that I have cultivated enough of my skill set that I could be top of those list for those shows. But that means that I'm the bottom of the list for the other ones. Yeah. I think, and I think that you carve out that niche by showing the industry, who you are and what you do, which is all the stuff outside of music theater. Yeah. In particular cabarets or your own written work or plays or whatever. So yeah, I think it's important to do that. You can, or radio work or, you know, voiceover work. There's like, I think there's a lot of opportunity out there. Um, like voiceover work, yeah, radio work, if you've got a good voice mm. um, and you're good at telling a story with your voice, then... Because like you said, it's not a failure if you go out and you do something else at the same time that you're still pursuing theatre and music theatre, um, even with if it's not necessarily directly in line with acting um, or with music. Um, if you're... if The main thing at the end of the day, I think, is that you've got to be happy with it and happy with what you do and you want to be able to look back at your time in, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 years from now and go... Yeah, I really like loved doing that and I was happy and it didn't make me want to cry every night. Um, and I guess kind of moving into one of our final questions, because I don't know if we've asked you very many questions because you've kind of answered a lot of our questions without us having to I'm ask so sorry. them. <laughs> I'm so sorry, no. just rambling. No, no it's, it's great. It's great. <laughs> um, but whether it be within the arts um, or teaching or in life, what's something that you would really love to achieve in the coming years i want to achieve a a doctorate in education um i want to write a novel which i'm working on i want to write there's a whole bunch of projects that i'm working on with some friends which is like writing you know musicals or helping develop musicals or helping develop other people develop musicals giving them that space i don't have anything concrete i just try and do a, a lot of stuff and see what sticks which really helps for my adhd um, which kind of leads me to what I think the best advice is, is that just do things like I'm, I've been at this stage and in particular lockdown, which has been a real motherfucker because I'm 33, um, mm-hmm. and I'm aging out of my bracket in casting. Like if Kinky Boots were to come now, I might be cast as Charlie, but I it probably wouldn't be, it'd be someone younger than me. And I'm moving into a different bracket. That doesn't mean my career's over. It just means you move brackets. And so there's this nostalgia I have for everything that's happened up until now. Like all that I've been very blessed to work overseas and and things like that. But I, I, I was thinking about it and I think that's the way it always is. 
is every stage of your life, you look back on it and you go, I've done some incredible things, but that's all over now. And we all kind of think that there's not more coming. There's always this feeling that there's not more coming. And Mm. the only way more things, but there is always more stuff coming. I thought after Kinky Boots, this is all over now. And then I thought after High Fidelity, this is all over now. And I thought after Once, this is all over now. And I thought, you know, not that it was sad. There was this bit of sweetness, but it's never, it's never all over now. It's ne- it's not, it's like you just, yeah. cause you do something else or someone gives you a call and an opportunity comes up. And I think we get caught in this thing of going, what's the right move. And there aren't really any right moves. There's no, no right moves. Just do stuff. Like everything has become a side hustle. Like people are like mm-hmm. I've started making and yeah. selling candles and that's great. I've got a friend, someone I went to, uni with who's doing really really well with their candle business um make incredible beautiful candles hunter candles viani hunter and i'm not saying people shouldn't start a business but when did this idea of commodifying everything happen like whatever fucking happened to just having a hobby that cost you money and didn't provide you anything except joy like Mm. you don't people like i'm gonna start making candles and that'll make me money it's like it's not a failure if it doesn't make you money if you enjoy making candles I'm so I'm going to get a hobby that costs me a fuckload of money that provides me nothing but joy, and that's going to be making model trains when I'm older. I think, I don't know. So like, so all the advice there's there's always stuff coming. So not everything. You should have a balance between a focus on professional development and just doing shit. So that's where I'm kind of at at the moment. Is like there are things I want to do professionally that I hope fruit and and become wonderful things or, or lead to new experiences which they will because that's the way the industry works um yeah. is you do stuff you get more stuff and someone sees something and something that didn't sell tickets might get you an opportunity later but mostly what do i want to achieve i just want to do stuff that makes me happy and I, at the moment that's studying at university and being challenged by ideas and being challenged by the generation younger than i am i never thought this would happen I never thought this would happen. I never thought I would be the guy who was like, this younger generation, they don't understand. And I'm not that guy, but sometimes my brain yeah. does that. Like I will be challenged by the young, the, the generation below me's politics because I'm like, that's a bit much. It's gone a bit far. But then when you really unpack on what, what they're talking about and, and play the ball rather than playing the emotion, um, yeah. you realize that that defensiveness is 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 actually just being challenged by by younger people just like the generation above me was challenged by by me like i yeah my parents were challenged by me and my politics and now i'm that that guy i'm the old guy who's in a in a in a uni class yeah. <laughs> you know and demetra and, and and things like that where you go i have to take a step back and be humble enough to sort of go what's happening is you're being challenged because your politics are old <laughs> your politics are all politics <laughs> so i'm just hoping that's what i want that's what i want for next yeah. is just something new and, and something different that, yeah. that makes me happy we are all still learning and growing and and finding opportunities to to understand different aspects of life politics you know living being happy balanced and all of that so that was some really, really great advice. Thank you so much for everything that you have said today. We've really appreciated having you on. It's been awesome. No, thanks for having me on. Before we leave, though, before we get going, we would love to do <laughs> a bit of a bedtime story. I feel like all of these have been bedtime stories. I've just been waffling. I'm so sorry. This has, this has to specifically be then. 
something that went wrong. Oh, okay. Well, there's a whole bunch of stuff that went wrong. Once I grew in a beard and it was patchy and that seems to be sorting itself out. But no, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> um, okay, here's a story from We Were Rocky. We were on stage and for three, three nights in a row, this thing happened. First time it happened, we were doing We Will Rock You, the song. And the music director hewed it differently or, or there was something wrong with the file or something happened. It might, might not have been the music director's fault. Um, so I shouldn't throw them under the bus. Um, but it, something, might have, something, something happened with an issue. And I was halfway through the verse. And in We Will Rock You, because the sound of like, the we will, we will rock you comes from, there's like a vocal backing track because it comes from the ether. So like it, the mm-hmm. sound like comes from, oh, from yeah. anywhere. So it's not, yeah. it's not cheap. It's just like, it's part of the show. Um, but that came in, in the middle of my verse. And the first time it happened, I was like, okay. And then the next night I was, it happened again. So something was up with the file and went and talked to the musical direct- director. He didn't know what was going on. He was like, I'm not sure what's happening. We're like, okay, okay, let's get fixed. Then the next night, I was singing, really like leaning into it, and it happened again. It happened again. And apparently, I went, what the fuck? (laughs) And then, um, and then, um, I don't remember doing that. That's not, it's not my habit to do that. Um, I don't, no one in the audience heard it. It wasn't in a show report. No one side stage heard it, but like Wayne Scott Kermond, who was on stage with me, yeah. was going, Hey, ho, Hey, like trying to cover it up. And Kels started sort of skipping around the stage um, until we got it back into the chorus and, and the second verse. Um, so that was a big thing. Did you have to stop singing? Yeah, I had to stop singing every single time I would have to stop singing to come into the new verse. That's crazy. <laughs> it would just be so frustrating because it's like, it's not even like a, ah, oh, shit, like the, the MD has messed up. It's just like a technical difficulty that is just like... Yeah, well, that's like, the thing. Okay. There's mo- And most of the times mistakes happen. It's not really anyone's fault, really. Like some shit no, just happens. No. And then, yeah. you know. You know I remember once on, once on Kinky Boots... I- in the mid after Lola's big number in the second act, someone stood up, was very drunk, and was like, "I love you. You get to be who you are." It was like really <laughs> mental. <laughs> Can I say mental? Like they, because that person wasn't having a oh mental health God. episode, as far as I know, they were just drunk. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, and they had to be like escorted out. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's. That's, uh, I think, a fair call to be escorting someone else if they just, yeah. like... There's a time and place for that kind of there thing. There is, guys. Um, but for anyone listening, obviously, you can follow Toby on social media, such as Instagram, um, at Toby the Francis, um, for updates on, I guess, just your life and what you're doing and any shows we can catch once we're out of this um, panini press. Um, but <laughs> thank you all so so much for being here and thank you again Toby for being here with us but um, until next time you guys stay happy healthy and safe and we will see you then bye bye everyone bye.